He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to be with you all today. Uh, like Fletcher said, my name is Tyler. I'm on staff at Sierra Hill Brookline. Um, me and my wife Ashlyn are honored to be with you guys today. We, I said this last time I was here about a few months ago. We, we love Somerville. We love being in Somerville. Um, love coming across the river. Glad you guys are the good reason for that today. Um, so we're going to dive into uh, a parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector that we just read. Um, and... Uh, just kind of ask a couple questions about it, make some observations about it, um, and see what got us to say through it. Uh, my wife and I, we, we went to a, a murder mystery dinner party last night. Anyone ever done one of those? Yeah, one, two. Uh, super fun. Um, it was for a friend of ours, her birthday party, um, and she's actually a scientist. And so she had a lot of her coworkers who are also scientists, a lot of her kind of church friends who typically aren't scientists, um, and a lot of those people were kind of mingling together. And uh, I always love having conversations with people from different faith backgrounds about what they believe, what they think about certain things, their worldview, things like that. Um, and one of my favorite questions to always ask is, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? I'm sure maybe you've thought about this, whether you consider yourself Christian or not. Um, and it's always super interesting that most of the answers are, are kind of um, something like, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? Why is there suffering in the world, right? Or it turns into kind of like God as a genie and you start talking about three wishes instead of kind of a question. And as I think about these conversations that I've had like that, it's super interesting that um, in light of eternity, in light of heaven, if those, if those are real things, which scripture says, says they are, in light of the ability to be in a relationship with God, it's surprising to me that no one ever asked the question, how do I get right with God? Right? In our parable today, it actually answers that question quite directly. The book of Job kind of states that question a different way. I like the way the message translation says it. It says, how can mere mortals get right with God? And it's a question that uh, not just Christians have been asking, but humanity in general, in, in some way, shape, or form, for, for, forever, really. Um, and Jesus, through this parable, answers it very succinctly. And I'm actually going to read it one more time since it's so short. Um, so Luke 18. Uh, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into, into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus answers the question, how is one made right with God? How is one justified by God? He answers it parabolically by making the point, God justifies the humble. God justifies the humble. That's our kind of big idea, main point for the day. And if you grew up in church or you've been coming to church for some time, this parable might just kind of slap you on the wrist, right? You, you've, you've heard the characters, you know the outcome, right? And, and you know uh, that God justifies the humble. It kind of slaps you on the wrist. But if we kind of examine ourselves and examine our own lives, we might believe this to be true, we might say this to be true, but we actually live out the opposite, right? We say God justifies the humble, but then we act like we have to justify ourselves, right? Maybe for some of you, uh, when you heard this, your first thought was, thank God I'm not like the tax collector. Maybe for others, it's a little more subtle. Something like, okay, I hear you. I hear the passage. I hear what you're saying. How do I avoid being like the tax collector? And how do I be, or sorry, how do I avoid being like the Pharisee? And how do I be like the tax collector? And the thing is, how can I not be like the Pharisee very quickly leads to, thank God I'm not the Pharisee. It's the same mindset. It's the same path of self-justification. In Jesus' parable, Scripture contradicts this idea entirely. So three kind of, they're not really points, three observations today to kind of help us paint a clear picture that God justifies the humble. So we'll look at two men, two prayers, and two outcomes. Two men, two prayers, two outcomes. So the two men first, we'll look at this very briefly, and my hope is let's just paint a picture uh, of how Jesus' listeners would have heard this story, this parable. What would their first reaction be? Because it, it's not nearly as stunning to us 2,000 years later as it was to them when they heard it. Because uh, when we hear the word Pharisee, we usually think of something extremely negative, right? We think of someone who's self-righteous, legalistic, Right, which to a certain extent, we, we know that's true, actually, because Jesus teaches that and, and calls the Pharisees out like that all the time. But we have to remember, the people that heard this parable at first wouldn't have thought that. They might not have had the most positive thoughts about the Pharisee, but they certainly would have thought the Pharisee is a religious man. The Pharisee was extremely righteous. The Pharisee was obedient to Scripture. Right, the Pharisee probably knows all 600-plus commands of the Old Testament and probably comes pretty close to living all those things out. The people hearing this would have thought the Pharisee going into the temple to pray. Of course he does. He's a Pharisee. He's a godly man. He belongs there. He's a righteous man. He's, he's in right standing with God. Right, the Pharisee, if he was in our church today, we'd probably look at him and say, I wish we had your faith. Or maybe I wish we had your knowledge of Scripture your obedience, your discipline, your righteousness. And if we heard this parable, the first half of this parable, 2,000 years ago, without a doubt, we would put all our money on the Pharisee. That's the guy. The Pharisee is the guy that is just. The Pharisee is the guy that is righteous. The Pharisee is the guy that has God's favor. All right, the Pharisee would have been your best church member. Think about, imagine the Pharisee's church membership interview. 
Fletcher, Pastor Fletcher sits down with the Pharisee and exchanges some pleasantries. And so, so what do you do for work? Pharisee smirks and kind of looks back and says, Pastor Fletcher, I do your job, but better. Fletcher kind of strokes his beard and doesn't know how to respond. So, well, well tell me about your walk with the Lord. You know, when, 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 when did you come to know the Lord? And Pharisee says, well, I, I grew up knowing nothing but my faith. I grew up learning the scriptures. Right? I live a moral, upright, obedient life. By the grace of God, I am where I am. Right? Are, well, are you in a CG? Are you reading scripture? Like, how, how's, how's it been? Yeah, I have the whole Torah memorized. He, he would pass the membership interview with flying colors. Right? Not only that, we'd probably love him. His knowledge of the scripture. His commitment to the church. And yet, in a stunning reversal that reveals the compassion and mercy of God, Jesus tells this parable and says, not this man, but the other. The other man. And this is where a little bit of discomfort should begin to creep in if we really think about what's being said here. right? Our preconceived notions about this parable, our preconceived notions about how justification works, kind of begin to break down when we come face to face with the reality that the best of us in this story aren't the ones that are justified. As I was studying this passage, I actually, I I didn't think this was going to happen, but this week I was actually having to fight the thought of, that's not fair. That's not fair. God, look, maybe he's a little arrogant, but look at what he does for you. Maybe he thinks of himself a little bit too highly, but look at how he serves Look at how he knows your word. Why would you not justify him? Especially in light of the other man, the tax collector. Because the tax collector, again, we hear Pharisee, we think negative. We hear tax collector, we think positive. Right? We think maybe someone with a shady profession, but still someone who's an object of God's mercy and compassion. But, remember, this is 2,000 years ago, and... When the people heard this parable, they wouldn't have thought those things. Right? We think tax collector, yeah, he's a, he's a friend of Jesus. What's the verse? Jesus, friend of sinners and tax collectors? But even that verse says tax collector with a tone of contempt. Right? So as to say, Jesus, how in the world could you associate yourself with tax collectors? And so when people heard Jesus talk about the tax collector, they probably would have immediately felt a sense of disgust or betrayal. Right? They would have thought, this man, this tax collector, he works for the Roman government, and the Roman government oppresses us. He aids them in that. This tax collector, he's a thief. He takes money from us, more than the government tasks him with taking, and he keeps it for himself. Look at his shoes, look at his clothes, look at where he lives. He makes all that money by stealing it from us. They would have thought, as the tax collector walked into the temple, why in the world are you here? You are probably the most ungodly person I know. Why are you here? You think God wants anything to do with you? You think God's going to listen to you? I think even the best of us probably have someone that if they walked into church right now, we'd maybe have similar thoughts. Right? That feeling you have towards that certain person, now extend that to the general public. That's how everyone felt about a tax collector. Maybe a more accurate example 
of a tax collector is Martin Screlly. You guys have heard of him? He took a drug that people needed to live and changed the price from like 13 bucks to 750 bucks, all for his own profit. He walks in. He walks down the aisle. He stands beside you. He starts worshiping. He starts praying. He's crying. What do you think? How do you feel? Or imagine the tax collector's church membership interview. Pastor Fletcher sits him down and starts asking the same question. So what do you do? I take money from people. More than they owe. I work for a government that oppresses people. And I keep that money for myself. Again, Pastor Fletcher strokes his beard as he thinks about how to respond. He said, well, how did you, so how did you find the church? Tax collector says, I, I, I hardly come to church. I don't really talk to God. I don't even know if I believe in God. And I'm having drinking problems. I have relational issues. My, my life's kind of a wreck. God, I, I, need, I need you, God. And we would, we would look at that person and say, you know, I think, I think we should slow down on this church membership thing. I think you should dive into the scriptures a little bit more. Maybe we get you plugged into a CG and, and you start coming to church a little more and, and then we'll reassess. And, and I'm sorry, just based on the way you're living your life, I don't know if I'm confident in your profession of faith. That's what we would say to that man. And that's not me railing against church membership. I saw you have a membership class coming up. You should go to that. It's not me railing against church membership, but it's a reminder that God doesn't justify you based on what you do. What the supposed character of these two men, in light of the final outcome, tells us is that you can have incredible character, really high character. You could be a holy person and not be right with God. And that goes contrary to what thousands of other religions say. That goes contrary to what culture says. So these are the two people that Jesus opens the parable with, a Pharisee and a tax collector, the religious and the irreligious, the moral and the immoral. And now the two prayers that these men utter, they begin to kind of slowly, when you look super closely, you begin to see the differences between the two. The way they pray, when you inspect it, shows us why the one we least expect to get justified is, and why the one we most expect to get justified isn't. So starting with the prayer of the Pharisee. Verse 11 notes that the Pharisee stood by himself. A lot of commentators think that um, the Pharisee likely did this to make himself the center of attention. Just imagine maybe the, the, the congregation just finished worshiping, and so now they move into this time of personal prayer and kind of devotion, and instead of excuse me, staying in his seat, the Pharisee gets up and maybe separates himself a little bit so that everyone can kind of see him. And he starts praying. And he prays this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Now let me ask, right off the bat, what's wrong with that prayer? I think some of us, if not all of us, have probably prayed something somewhat similar, right? Is it a lie? Is the tax collector lying? Well, no. Is it true? Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't he be thankful that he doesn't sin in certain ways? Well, yeah. So what's the problem? 
I think when we look closely, we see two things. Self-absorption and a relative obedience. Look how many times the Pharisee says God and how many times he says I. Right? He starts by saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other sinners. Now, on the surface, again, it's a little, it's a little rough way to say it, but who wouldn't pray something like that? God, I'm thankful that I don't sin in certain ways. I'm thankful that you've kept me from sinning in certain ways. At first, maybe there's nothing wrong with that, but he goes on. And we start to see who the center of attention is in his prayer. Alfred Plummer um, notes that the Pharisee glances at God and then contemplates himself. God, I thank you that I am not like this, that I am not like this, that I do this, and I do this. I give this. The Pharisee gives a nod to God at the beginning in such a way that acknowledges God's grace to a certain extent, but then he takes that grace and makes it something he's achieved for himself. And what's ironic is in his prayer, there's, there's actually a, a literal confession of sin being poured out too in the form of self-righteousness. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a pastor, notes that an actual confession of sin is pouring out of his mouth, but he is not admitting his sin to God. In other words, when you look at this prayer closely enough, you can see sin all over it. Right? It kind of reeks of self-righteousness, self Absorption, a misguided obedience, while acknowledging none of it to God. Also notice how the Pharisee brags about his obedience. Right? He thanks God that he's not like other men. He's comparing himself. He's separating himself. Tim Keller made the observation that the Pharisee is praying the very thing he was acting out. Or he was acting out the very thing he was praying. So he stood up and, and separated himself from the rest of the congregation. So he does so in his prayer, too. And don't get me wrong, we need, we need moral standards and ethics. There is a Christian ethic that we need to live by, that we need to aim for, that we need to obey. But when our obedience is based on those laws, for those laws' sake, rather than a love for God, or miraculously God's love for us. And that turns into what the Pharisee was doing. That turns into legalism. That turns into religious zeal that is not pleasing to God. And what happens then is we get so busy doing things for God, or so we think, that we don't do things with God. I'm not talking about just like your Bible reading or your prayer in the morning and evening, but I'm talking about every single thing you do. To give an imperfect example, just because you're married and you're doing the things that married people do, eating dinner together, living life together, raising a family, encouraging each other, organizing the house, that doesn't immediately translate to intimacy with your spouse, right? Or a sense of closeness with your spouse, right? So it is with us and God. I can't help but to think the Pharisee probably would have been on the receiving end of Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Jesus talks about Matthew 7. People will stand in front of him in the last day and they will plead, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? In other words, look at all the things I did. Didn't I do it in your name? Kind of sounds like the Pharisee's prayer, doesn't it? And Jesus' response to that in Matthew 7 actually tells us what God really wants from us. 
says that he will look at them and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so the question is, do you know the living God or do you just know the things he wants you to do? Another idea we could pick up on in this passage is that the way you pray reveals a lot about you. What you love, what you trust, what you want, what you think about God, what you think about other people. Diving deeper into this passage, I actually found myself examining my own prayers throughout the week, and and I realized I do pray a lot about myself. And I had to ask, am I genuinely pleading with God about the burdens that he's placed on my heart, or am I just kind of doing a nice pep talk veiled in the form of a prayer? So just, I just encourage you, examine yourself as you pray. What occupies your mind? What are you most frequently praying for? Is it truly communion with God? Is it truly praying for the things that are burdens on your heart? Or is it selfish ambition? Or even like the Pharisee prayed about his merits. But while... Uh, Prayer can reveal a lot about you. The problem with the Pharisee, the problem with his prayer wasn't the content. It wasn't the content, right? The problem was not that the Pharisee prayed those things. The problem was not even that the Pharisee was immoral. The problem was that the Pharisee was moral, and he trusted in that, right? He trusted his strict obedience to be the thing that made him right before God, rather than realizing he's broken and in desperate need of being fixed. The Pharisee thought he could do it himself. You can hear it in the way he says what he says. I did this, I do this, I can do this. He thought he could be right with God by his own efforts. He thought, if I'm just good enough, I'll earn God's favor. Well, actually, he thought, I've been good enough, so I've earned God's favor. Right? If you're just good enough, you can earn the favor of God. But that's not what Scripture tells us, is it? That's not what this parable tells us. Right, that's what the world says. As a millennial, I grew up hearing, you can be whatever you want to be if you just put your mind to it. And maybe there's some nice sentiment to that, but there's also some flaws. I was reminded of this on, on Friday. I was working at a um, block in Union, and I was walking back to my car, and there was an envelope on my windshield. Um, and at first, I was like, crap, my wife's going to kill me. I got a parking ticket. Um, but as I got closer, I noticed it had the word enjoy written on it. Um, and I don't know why my first thought was, surely there's $1,000 in there just for me. <laughs> but I started to second guess that when I saw all the other cars had the same thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to open it and powder's going to fly in my face. I'm just going to get poisoned and this is how I go out, I guess. But it was just a typed letter um, trying to encourage people. Again, a nice sentiment. But it said, you are wonderful, smart, and kind. You were made to do amazing things. Don't let anyone tell you different. Be bold, and you will change the world. And I think what Scripture would point to is that when the effort to change the world, when your effort to love other people with the love of God, when your effort to love your family well, when your effort to be faithful at work, when your effort to serve other people, when your effort to get right with God When those things are all pursued on your effort alone, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. The Pharisee, he did all that. He hit all the marks. He checked all the boxes. 
by many standards, he would have been the super Christian, right? And he trusted in his own great and admittedly impressive abilities. And yet it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He assumed too much of himself and too little of God. Whereas a tax collector assumed much of God and little of himself. So then the question becomes, how did this tax collector seemingly strike gold? How is he the one to be on the receiving end of God's mercy? How is he the one that was made right before God? In his prayer, it's much shorter, isn't it? The tax collector, like the Pharisee, the text notes that he stood far off. My guess is the tax collector stood far off because he thought he was worthy. Or sorry, the Pharisee stood far off because he thought he was worthy. The tax collector stood far off because he thought he was unworthy. The Pharisee, as, as he prays, maybe he's kind of looking to the heavens. The tax collector couldn't even bring himself to look up, to even glance at God. Have you ever hurt someone deeply or done something kind of shameful that you have to then go tell someone and you can't even bring yourself to look them in the eyes? That's what's going on here. And then he beat his chest, which is not something a man back then would have done unless it was extreme circumstances. He beats his chest in a sign of great sorrow. Sorrow over what? His sin. You can see it in his prayer. It doesn't come through in the translation we read, but the last part of his prayer, a sinner, is actually more like the sinner. So he says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Kind of steals Paul's phrasing where Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners. He says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. The tax collector compared to the Pharisee knew his place, his proper place, and had proper sorrow over his sin. And he called out to God for help. And again, something that doesn't come through in the ESV, but what he actually says there when he calls out to God, what he asks of God is not just mercy, but the verb he uses there, he actually says, God, propitiate me. In other words, God, turn your wrath away from me, the sinner. So the tax collector actually prayed for salvation. The Pharisee prayed about the things he thought would give him salvation. The tax collector's short seven-word prayer that conveyed humility, dependence, desperation. The tax collector is much longer self-absorbed prayer about himself. This is why the tax collector was justified, because he knew he couldn't do it. He knew he couldn't do it. And what's interesting is when he prays, God, propitiate me, in that word, propitiate, embedded in that is the need for a sacrifice, a need for a savior, right? Because the wrath of God doesn't just evaporate into thin air. God is a just God, so justice must be done towards sin. So the tax collector knew that if he stood any chance, that wrath had to be turned away. The tax collector knew if he stood any chance, that God himself had to be the one to turn away his wrath. That God himself had to be the one to justify him. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation 
for our sins. So the tax collector knew that God himself had to be the one to justify him. The tax collector knew that God himself had to be the one to propitiate him. He probably didn't know the manner in which God does that. And I just kind of imagine this setting, Jesus talking to these people, sharing this parable. I wonder if they had any clue that Jesus, the very man who's telling them the parable, is the very person that God would use to propitiate, to have mercy, to extend forgiveness. I wonder if they knew that Jesus was the one to whom God turns his wrath for those of us who believe in him. Through the cross and then through the resurrection. Friends, if you want to know ultimately how to get right with God, it's to trust in this, to trust that Jesus is the propitiation for your sins, that you are justified by God because of Christ. Two men, two prayers, two outcomes. So as we close, let me ask you, have you prayed a prayer like the tax collector? It's possible you've been coming here for years and you haven't prayed a prayer like that. You haven't really grasped the mercy of God. And just as in a little while we'll step out of church, so these two men stepped out of the temple. One of them walked away really happy with himself, thinking he did a really good job, thinking he fulfilled his religious duties for the day, thinking that he made God happy. The other man, the tax collector, I have to imagine, maybe still kind of had a heavy heart, maybe still a sense of sorrow over his sin, but with hope, knowing that we have a God who extends mercy to us. So let's pray. Let's ask God for mercy. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you are a merciful God who with great joy extends mercy to your children. So God, have mercy on us today. May we, through that, see you and your beauty and your goodness and your kindness. Can we pray and ask these things. Amen.